Well, good morning again. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up to Psalm 42, which is page 469 in the black Bibles you'll see under the chairs. If you want to follow on one of those Bibles, page 469, it's Psalm 42. We're continuing this series called Collide, Emotion Meets Truth in the Psalms. And this psalm, it's actually, we're going to look at Psalm 42 and 43. 43 is kind of like a sequel or an echo, however you want to describe it, but they go together. We know, we know they go together because they repeat a lot of the same stuff, and they're put right next to each other. So we're going to look at 42 and 43 today. And as I was studying this summer for the whole psalm series and thinking about what the psalms were like, this psalm specifically was kind of stuck on repeat in my head. You know, you ever get like a song in your head and you can't get rid of it? This psalm was just playing over and over again in my head because this was really, I think, a foundational psalm to the concept that we're trying to approach the whole, the whole series of psalms with. The idea that we can be emotionally honest with God and that at the root of our spiritual and emotional help is understanding who God really is and speaking the truth back to Him. That kind of fight to talk to God, uh, to, to preach what God has to say to our own heart You'll see that wrestling come out really clearly here in Psalm 42. It gives us a really great vision of what that looks like. We're calling it, this week, Collide with Despair. Collide with Despair. You see the psalmist hitting rock bottom, uh, but then uh, trying to truth himself out of it. A lot of times uh, people call it preaching the gospel to yourself. It's one thing to tell other people to hope in God, but here you see the psalmist telling himself, like, come on, self. Hope in God. It's, it's going to be okay. God has got this. And so it's a great example, I think, of what an honest prayer life looks like, uh, what it looks like to walk as a believer in community with other Christians as well, what it looks like really to worship through difficulty. So if you'll follow along with me, we'll read Psalm 42. <clears throat> it says, To the choir master, a maskil of the sons of Korah. So this just means it's, it's a psalm. Okay. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in the procession to the house of God. With glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And then Psalm 43 says, vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. 
Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Let me ask God to teach us this morning. Lord, we thank you for the chance to look at the word together and to hear from you. We thank you for the example here of the psalmist uh, being able to really honestly wrestle with you. And I pray for those this morning uh, who are really in the, in the pit of despair right now, who are afraid to honestly even admit uh, how bad things are. God, I pray that you would open their heart to the possibility of hope. I pray that you would renew in them the ability to desire good things and to see you as the source. God, I pray that you would lead us this morning, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I've shared this with some of you in the past, but uh, different ways that God worked in my life. I gave you a little bit of my background last week as well. Um, And to kind of continue that story, I talked about how I just didn't go to church for many years. And then we started going to church in my teen years. Um, And just hearing God's word preached over years began to work on me. It began to help me to understand the difference between uh, Jesus and religion. It helped me to understand uh, the difference between how I was living and what God wanted me to do with my life. Um, And my junior year was kind of a crisis point for me. Um, A couple of close friends committed suicide. Um, Another friend died in a drunk driving accident. Um, My dad uh, disowned me that year. Um, And it was a really bad year for me socially and sports-wise, right? You know, like in high school, those things are important. They don't really matter anymore. But in high school, those things were really important. Sports was, was really my idol at the time. So that was my hope of salvation was in success in sports. Um, being a good, you know, Texas high school football player. And that wasn't going well either. You know, I wasn't having the success there that I wanted. I was having kind of repeated injuries and problems there, playing sports. Um, Socially, things were bad, as as you could imagine, if you know me. And uh, so it it just was like everything coming to a head. Everything was just crashing in on me. And that that was a point in my life of of utter despair. That, That was a point where nothing was working, like nothing was working out. I didn't understand what to do next, and I just was kind of at a point of, of giving up, of like, I don't, I don't know how to make this work. You know, I'm trying this, and I'm trying that, and nothing's working, and just feeling really depressed, and really utterly just wiped out, and frustrated, and sad all the time. Um, in God's providence, that summer was the first time I'd ever gotten to go to like a Christian camp. I had some of my coaches were involved in this ministry called Fellowship of Christian Athletes, uh, and they grabbed some of us kids that were interested, and they figured out a way to find some money and get us on a bus to go to this camp in Colorado. And so that was a really uh, wonderful timing for me in my life that at really rock bottom for me, at the pit of despair, for the first time I began to understand who God was uh, through the teaching that we were given at that camp. I began to understand what Jesus had done for us. And that was really transformative in my life. My prayer is that if you're at that kind of place in your life, whatever you may be dealing with, that you would get a vision kind of outside of the pit, right? Um, The pit's not always magically transformed in the moment, right? Sometimes we stay in the pit a little longer. Um, Me beginning to understand who God was didn't magically transport me out of the pit, but I began to have hope even in that pit. I began to know what it looks like to have hope, to have joy in the midst of that pit. And so that's my prayer for you as well. I wanted to read a a quote by uh, an author named David Pallison. He talks about um, 
just the great honesty that we find in the Psalms, and he says it this way, the Psalms are a favorite of God's people because the Psalms express honest human emotion, and because in the Psalms, one can meet with God right where they are. That's really my prayer for the Psalms series, is that we would begin to really understand that we can be honest with God, that God knows where you are, God cares where you are, and you can talk to God about what's going on in your life. When you think about it from a uh, just theological standpoint, it's kind of silly that we don't, right? Like we think he doesn't know what's going on in our head. You know, if he's God, he, he knows what you're thinking already, so you might as well talk to him about it. And that's, that's modeled really beautifully for us here. Another quote I want you to think about is from Paul Tripp. In his book, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands, he says this, the most influential voice in your life, he says the most influential voice in your life is the voice in your own head. It's your own voice. It's what you're saying to yourself right now. That's the most influential voice in your life. And so in the psalm, we see a model of beginning to change that voice, of beginning to fight back with that voice in your head. Um, And so the first thing I want us to, uh, to look at here in the psalm is that despair remembers hope. Despair remembers hope. Uh, The way I would frame it is this. If you're in despair, it's because you can remember a day of being hopeful. So the reason you feel hopeless right now is because there have been times in your life when you had hope. Now, granted, I would say oftentimes our hope is misplaced. Our hope is in the wrong thing. Our hope is, is in temporary things. But because you feel hopeless, because you feel despair, it's because you can at some level remember not feeling that way, right? You have some memory or some glimmer or some concept of the good life, of the way things are supposed to be. And we have a a picture of that here in the first section. If you look at verses 1 through 5 in Psalm 42, verses 1 through 5, it says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Um, this is one of those favorite verses. Any of you remember, if you're like my age or older, you remember the song, As the Deer Pants for Water? A lot of you know that song? Okay. And that song has this very tranquil feeling to it, doesn't it? Have you ever thought about that? A lot of times we mismatch uh, music. The, the feel of the music doesn't match the lyrics. Have you ever noticed that in songs sometimes? And it's kind of a weird thing, and a lot of times we, it doesn't bother us. But that's one of those songs where it says, as the deer pants for water, so my soul panteth, I think is how it says in some versions. So my soul panteth after you, O God. And it's this very peaceful, tranquil thing. But why would a deer be panting after water, right? What would be the state of that deer's life when he's panting after water? He'd be thirsty, right? He'd be possibly even dying of thirst, possibly even a desperate situation. This word pant is a desperate word. Um, I think the most common way we think of panting is a dog panting, right? It's a dog. They, they pant all the time, especially if you live in Texas. I have a picture here of a dog walking down a trail. He's panting. I was trying to find a picture of a dog panting to show that, like, desperate, oh, I'm thirsty. And every time I would find a picture of a dog panting, it looks like they're smiling. Have you ever noticed that? Dogs are like, it's cool. My tongue's hanging out. No big deal. You know, I mean, that's just. And so I don't think the word pant communicates well in English, right? We, we hear about a deer panting, and deer are, are peaceful and small and dainty, right? Or whatever, you know, whatever things you have in your mind about deer, unless you're a hunter, right? And you have a different picture of them. 
But I don't think it gives us quite the oomph of what the text is saying. The text is saying this wild animal is dying of thirst and it is heaving and panting and choking, needing water. Right? Do, do you get that? that? That's the image. Okay, and then he's going to take it. And if, if that image isn't enough, he's going to take it and he's going to press it harder. Okay, so he starts there and then he presses harder. In verse 3, look at what he says. Verse 3, he says, My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Have you ever, have you ever been in that situation where your tears have been your food day and night? Um, where you can't eat, but I mean, you've got tears streaming down your face. That's all you got, right? Have you ever been there? Um, I've, I've felt that way. I don't know that I can produce, I don't think physically I can produce that many tears. Like, I don't know that my body is capable of it. Um, that's something I've tried to work on as I've understood more um, the picture of what it means to walk with God and be a real human. I think it's clear that men are supposed to cry. So I've been trying to kind of unlearn some of the stuff I was taught as a young man growing up in Texas. I'm trying to like learn how to cry again, you know, like relearn some of those things. Uh, and so I think I may have damaged myself physically. Like maybe I can't cry that well anymore. But the picture here is a picture of desperation. So, so even if you don't cry that much, right, even if that volume of tears isn't flowing out of your face, can you relate to what it's like to just feel that, that place of brokenness, of, of just nothing's working? I'm just, I'm sad. I'm tired. I'm tired of being sad. I'm sad from being so tired. You know, just this, this worn out place. We, we often call it depression. Um, and depression has a lot of dimensions. And, and I would encourage you, if, if you struggle with chronic ongoing depression, to, to seek uh, multiple counselors, right? To not just go to one silver bullet cure, I think a lot of what he talks about here is very important and very foundational to fighting depression well, spiritually. But sometimes there are chemical things going on, right? I mean, sometimes you're in this rut, like I was saying, physically. I don't even know if my body can produce tears the same way it used to. I mean, sometimes you can get into this rut chemically where where it's hard to get out of that. So I would encourage you, if you're just stuck and stuck and stuck, to see a medical doctor, to seek help of a Christian counselor, to, you know, seek multiple venues of help. Understand that we are complex people, that we are physical, that we are spiritual, that we are emotional. All these things are all jumbled up. When the scripture talks about the heart, the scripture is talking about the whole person. It's not separating it out like we do. You know, we separate it out like I just even said, right? I said spiritual, emotional, mental, spiritual. That's how we think. You know, we think like engineers in the 21st century. But that's not really how the Bible speaks about the human person. It's, it's one whole. And it's all jumbled up together. Uh, and so recognize the, the complicatedness of it. And you might need medical help. You, you may not. I mean, the other side of that is we live in a world where we think there's a pill for everything. And half the time, that's just wrong, right? Half the time, that is not what you need at all. But don't go to the other extreme where you say medicine's always the wrong answer either. Understand that, that there, are, there are different needs for different people and it's complicated. Um, and I would say seek multiple counselors if you're struggling, if you continue to be stuck. I'd say if you are stuck so bad that you're considering taking your own life, see someone immediately. See someone immediately because it's not worth it. Don't delay and think, well, what if I get the wrong kind of help? Well, don't worry about that. Just get some help, okay? See someone immediately. Get some help. Make that call because it's not worth it. It's not worth playing around if, if you're in that spot. But I would say beyond that, get multiple counselors. Find multiple help. There's a, there's a great um, 
resource online that I would point you to, a great sermon called The Wounded Spirit by Tim Keller, where he talks about the view of the human soul from Proverbs, and he talks about how Proverbs paints it as very complex, right? We want to make it very simple. If you're a materialist, you want to just say, well, you know, we've evolved and there's nothing spiritual about us. It's just a chemical thing. Or if sometimes as Christians, we want to say, oh, there's nothing chemical about it. It's all a spiritual problem. And he talks about how in Proverbs and in the scriptures, it is a very complex mess of different issues. So I'd, re- I'd recommend that as if you're struggling in the area of depression, I'd recommend that as a great resource. It's called The Wounded Spirit by Tim Keller. You can find it online. Um, that's a free sermon that you can download online. But coming back to the text, we have a person who's at rock bottom, who, who feels like I can't eat. All I can do is cry. All I can do is cry. And then he goes in verse 4 and he remembers, he remembers what it was like to hope before. Look at verse 4. He says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. He's saying, I remember celebrating. I can remember hoping. Can you remember hoping? Can you remember what it was like to celebrate, to have a festival, a party? So this guy's a, this guy's a worship leader. Uh, the, the superscription, you know, at the very beginning, it says, To the choir master, a maskeel of the sons of Korah. Most people think this is from the sons of Korah, one of the groups of songwriters that David set up to help finish out uh, the Psalms and help to add to the worship life of the people of Israel. Some people, though, would argue also that this was actually something David wrote that the sons of Korah finished. Either way, it's a worship leader that's writing this. This is someone who's led the people of God in worship. This is someone who's led the people of God in worship and said, I know what it was like to authentically worship and praise God and say, God, you're awesome, to celebrate, to party. He talks about festival, the throng. There was a crowd. There was loud music. He says there were shouts and songs of praise. Again, that's just a little... A little vote for loud music. I'll just throw that out there. Um, But there was celebration happening, right? There was celebration. It was exciting. And I can remember that. And our hearts go back to that. And it's this this funny thing we see in the text because we don't don't really know if remembering this helps him get out of his depression or if remembering this makes him more depressed. Can you see that? You can't really tell in the text, but it's a part of what's going on. It's a part of the the mix of where he is, is he's remembering a day where he could celebrate, and he's not there right now. And so what I would say is it's, it is both and. We can remember a day when we had hope, and sometimes remembering those days that we had hope helps nudge us out of that place of despair. That's what we try to do as we gather God's people to worship God, is we try to keep you on a steady diet of remembering who God is and being reminded that we can hope in God no matter where we are in life, even when we're in the pit. And then this is where I think it gets really good here. This is where he models for us what we should do when we are in the pit. In verse 5, he says, Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. I think... It's really important to us to grab ourselves by the scruff of the neck and and say, hope in God. Why are you downcast? We we have to talk to ourselves. I I gave you that quote from 
Paul Tripp, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hand, where he says the most uh, influential voice in your life is you. You're, you're talking to yourself all the time. We, we have a steady diet of telling ourselves what's right, what's wrong, what should make us happy, what should make us unhappy, why we feel the way we do, why we shouldn't feel the way we do. We're the one that talks to ourselves the most. We're the one that influences ourselves the most. And here you see the psalmist breaking into that cycle, right? So the psalmist is in a cycle of depression, a cycle of feeling like my, my life is worthless. I don't, I don't know what to do. Nothing but tears, nothing but pain. And he breaks in and he says, there's still a reason to hope. There's still hope outside of this pit that I find myself in right now. There's still hope. And so I want to encourage you to to make that process. Remembering past moments of hope helps us to hope in God now, knowing that we're going to have a fuller opportunity to hope in God later. See what that is? We can remember, okay, I hoped in God once. I think I can hope in God again. The way Paul talks about it in Romans 8, uh, Romans 8.18, Romans 8 is just one of the best chapters when it comes to struggle. I keep coming back to it as we've been working through the Psalms. But in Romans 8.18 is the section where he says that I consider these present sufferings, the sufferings we're going through right now, not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed to us. Paul says, yes, we're suffering. Yes, suffering stinks. Yes, it's bad to suffer. Nobody likes to suffer, but the suffering now is not even worth comparing to the glory, to the awesomeness that we're looking forward to. And so he's, he's stepping outside of the now, saying there's a, there's a future hope. And so remembering a past hope can be a springboard to remember hope is possible and the future hope is going to be way better than whatever I'm struggling with now. I think another thing that we need to know from this text is that one of the basic, one of the basic uh, skills of human maturity is suppressing our emotion, right? Like that's one of the things you have to teach your kids. Uh, your kid wants uh, a, their sippy cup and they start screaming and falling on the ground, Right? And that's kind of how kids do it. And a skill you need to teach your kid, eventually, you know, we debate as Christian parents when you teach them this or how you teach them this. But at some point, they've got to learn to not throw themselves on the ground and scream, right? So we've got different methods. Some people are like, ignore them. Some people are like, spank them. You know, there's all these different versions of how you're going to get them to learn that. But we all agree, at some point, you've got to learn to not scream your head off and throw yourself on the ground, right? And so... That's a basic human skill is suppressing our emotions. That's a basic human maturity skill. But what I want you to see here is that another important skill growing spiritually is then learning to be honest about your emotions again. We spent a lifetime pushing them down, going, it's improper in life to freak out. So I'm going to not freak out, right? Especially for men, of course, right? There's different standards for men and women. It's even more important for a man to suppress your emotions, and so we spend our lifetime suppressing our emotions, which I would argue is right. We should do that, right? I, I shouldn't just uh, vomit on you every time you ask me how I'm doing, right? But I should have someone in my life that I can be honest with too. And that's a Christian discipline, is being emotionally honest. So recognize that those two things are at war with each other. Yes, it's important to control your emotions. If you can't control your emotions, you're, you're messed up. And so you need to see a counselor to figure out how to control your emotions, right? But if you can't ever express your emotions, guess what? You're messed up. You need to see a counselor to help you learn how to express your emotions. And so as a Christian, we have to live in that tension between those two worlds. And that's what we see modeled really well here in the psalm, is is learning to be emotionally honest with God more than anybody else. 
And that's what we, again, try to do as we build small groups, counseling relationships, classes, even public worship, right? The more public it gets, the bigger it gets, the harder it is to feel authentic and to feel real emotion. But at all those different levels, our, our private prayer time with God, our community time with a few other people, our public gathered worship, all those different uh, opportunities, we need to be emotionally honest and be interacting with what God has to say to those real emotions that we have. And that's a spiritual discipline we need to learn. But again, we don't throw out the, I don't want you all to start throwing yourselves on the ground and throwing a temper tantrum every time you don't get the coffee you want. Okay, so you've got to balance that. Those are the two sides of maturity. The other thing I think we see in the text here is that despair feels like death. When you're at that place emotionally, it feels like death. And here I believe the author is describing something again. As I said this last week, it's hard to always tell in the Psalms when David or the other psalmists are talking about a real experience and then they're using that to help us connect with our own experiences or when it's not even really a literal experience for them, they're just being poetic. And as I argued last week, it it doesn't matter that much. The important thing is that we understand that we can connect with God and we can feel this way ourselves. And so here I think the author is giving us an experience of drowning and saying that's what this kind of despair feels like. My despair feels like drowning. Now, it might have been a literal experience of drowning, but like I said, that's, that's really secondary because here he's offering it to us in our worship and our prayer. He's saying, use this experience to help you connect with God. And so he goes on in verse uh, 6, or the second half of verse 6, deep calls to deep. Actually, back up. I skipped a second. That was 7. Uh, my soul is cast down within me. So kind of the beginning of 6, after a few words there, it kind of breaks it up a little weird. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you. From the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Uh, The land of Jordan and Hermon, they're talking about the headwaters of the Jordan River. Hermon is kind of like the big mountain in Israel, and it's farther away from Jerusalem where uh, Mount Zion was, where the city and the capital was, where they had worship. So here he's talking physically, two things to note. Physically, he's not in Jerusalem where he can worship, right? He was just remembering, I used to worship, and I'm not now, and I'm sad, and so... You see a contrast geographically there where he's not in the place of worship. Um, so some authors are like, he's in exile. Or some authors, that's why some authors think maybe this was actually from David's life when Absalom had run him off from the capital. You know, again, we're not sure exactly the circumstance, but he's not in the capital. He's not at Mount Zion. He's out by Mount Hermon, which contextually, we know that's where the, the waterfalls and the rushing water coming off the mountain where the, where the headwaters of the river is okay and that helps us to understand the other things that he says here verse 7 deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls all your breakers and your waves have gone over me by day the lord commands his steadfast love and at night his song is with me a prayer to the god of my life i say to god my rock why have you forgotten me why do i go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy as with a deadly wound in my bones. That word in Hebrew is literally murder. With murder in my bones, like destruction in my bones. I'm wasting away from the inside, he's saying. A deadly wound in my bones. My adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him my salvation, and my God. He uses flood imagery here or 
uh, waterfall imagery. Have any of you ever been tubing in a river? I don't know if it's just a Texas thing. People go down to the Guadalupe. I guess it's just a Texas thing because I just threw like three hands of people that live here. So a few of you have. Um, what, what it is is basically, uh, you know, different ways to do it, but generally you just float in a tube down a river. That's, that's kind of the idea, right? My wife and I did it one time, and there was this one little kind of waterfall spot, and we all fell out, and we thought we were going to die. It was horrible, right? Um, most of the time, it's just calm and peaceful, and you just got a drink, and you're floating down the water, you know, in the water, and it's very, very chill, very laid back. But the scene here is, is more of the getting tumped over and uh, stuck in the water and the undertow, and have you ever been on the beach and the undertow is, is pulling you over? Raise your hand if you've ever been to the beach. You, you've experienced that? That's horrible. Okay, be careful about that. Um, I grew up in central Texas, so water kind of scares me. But uh, the, you've got this picture of the, the overflow of the waterfalls, and he's saying deep calls to deep, and your breakers are coming over me, the water is coming over me. It's this picture of, of drowning. Um, I was reminded of, of floods. We've had floods around here. I have a picture here of a lady getting caught in a flood. This is one of the floods I had recently in Greece. So you see, she was uh, trying to get out of her car in a flood, and the water was so strong that it was like, ripping her away from her car. I have another picture here of a man that was then trying to grab hold of her and help her. It eventually took two men to pull her out of the water because the floodwaters were so strong. And of course, you know, we know people die in floods. The, the psalmist is saying, this is what it feels like. I'm out of control. So I used the image before of my tears have been my food day and night. I can't stop crying. Nothing but tears. I'm like a deer panting for water. I'm desperate. I'm thirsty. I'm dying. Here he's saying it's like being uh, crushed under waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. I think it's interesting that he's using the personal pronoun uh, your. Your waves. Your waterfalls. Isn't that weird? He's, he's uh, saying this is God. And as Christians, we struggle with understanding how to make sense of this um, you know, we have these scriptures that say God is in control of all things. Uh, we see Joseph at the end of Genesis saying, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. Um, somehow, in the sovereignty of God, God is mysteriously involved in our suffering. Now, James makes it really clear. We shouldn't say when we're tempted, God is tempting me in the sense of uh, he's doing something bad, right? God's not the author of evil. And so scripture's pretty clear on the boundaries of God's in control of all things, the good and the bad in our life, and God's not the author of evil. Um, when we trace that back scripturally, when we push back as far as we can, we find we're the author of evil, basically, right? I mean, that's kind of the story in Genesis, is we started it all. Um, there's this temptation from the serpent, right? But Adam and Eve, we, people, we were the ones that were there and said, yeah, I think I'd, I'd rather do life on my own without you, God. And so when, we, when you trace it back as far as you can, it, it comes to us being the author of evil. But in our suffering, we can understand at some level, and this comforts some people differently than others, that, that God is involved in our suffering. And here he's saying, I feel like I'm dying, I feel like I'm drowning, and, and, you're, and these are your waves, God. And so then he begins to ask God, and he says, Therefore, God, if you're in control of all things, why are you abandoning me like this? Why are you letting me suffer like this? I think it's really important that we follow that train of thought, that we, we fight that out with God. We don't just short-circuit it with memorized theology and say, oh, well, my theology won't let me go down that road, so I'm not going to ask those questions of God. We should actually ask him those questions. We should actually go down that road. And so he says it 
this way in verse uh, 11. I'm losing my place here looking at my notes on the paper. In verse 9, it says, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? And so he asks God the question, why, God? Why have you abandoned me? Why have you forgotten me? Why have you left me here? Why am I drowning? Why are the waves continuing to crash over my head? And he asks that question because the verse before, in verse 8, he says, by day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. Saying, God, we're still connected you, you command your steadfast love. We would understand that as God's merciful love, his tender mercies towards us, his grace towards us, to use a New Testament kind of word. God is loving towards us. And so he's wrestling with that. Like, God, I know you're loving. I know you're gracious. So why? Why am I still here? Why am I drowning? Why am I still struggling? And I want to encourage you to let... The, the way this is phrased in a book by uh, Dan Allender and Trimper Longman is, is let despair do its full work. Let despair do its full work of uh, crushing the idols that you've been clinging to. Don't stop desiring. Don't give up on hoping. Don't give up on wanting good. But allow despair to do its full work and wrestle it out with God. A lot of times what we do is we short circuit the process and we just stop desiring. We just kind of squelch our emotions. We teach ourselves not to care. Um, and I know temperamentally that affects some people more than others, but I've, I've done that a lot. I've just said, okay, I'm not going to care. I'm not going to expect any good things. Here you see the psalmist wrestling that through with God. God, I know you're the author of good things, so where are the good things? Why aren't there good things? I, I want good things, God. Where are you? If you really love me, why don't I feel loved right now? Why do I feel like I'm drowning. And I would encourage you to, to wrestle that through with God. Take the, the dangerous step of asking him those questions, of pressing into him in that way. And again, we see modeled, this is the chorus of the song, why are you downcast? Why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. He's, he continues to talk to himself. He can, continues to say, I don't feel any hope now, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hope again. So start hoping now, knowing that things will get better in the future. As Paul says it in Romans 8, 18, I, I don't think the present sufferings are worth comparing to the glory that's going to be revealed. I don't think the present sufferings are worth comparing to the incredible glory and joy that will be revealed. And so he continues to talk to himself. Why are you depressed? Why are you down? Hope in God. Hope in God. He's the only point of rescue. He's the only source of hope. And we see that preaching to yourself in the midst of that emotional honesty of, God, what's going on? Why is this happening to me? Be emotionally honest and continue to preach to yourself. The last thing I want us to look at is what we see in Psalm 43, which as I said, is just a wraparound with Psalm 42. They all go together, is that despair is powerlessness. Despair is powerless or powerlessness. Uh, in Psalm 43 he says, vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause. So now he's asking for justification, right? He's, he's kind of thrown this in along the way in Psalm 42 as well. There are enemies that are saying, uh, where's your God? What's going on, right? There are people taunting. There are people mocking. He's saying, vindicate me. Show that you're real, God. Let people see that you are on my side. Let people see that. Vindicate me publicly. 
Defend my cause against an ungodly people from the deceitful and unjust man. Deliver me, for you're the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? He continues to wrestle and ask him, Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And I will praise you with a lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down again the chorus? Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. I have a picture here of a doorway in the dark. Any of you ever been in absolute darkness? Been out in the country, been training. I know they've got like this underground training ground at Fort Hood where it's complete black, right? Uh, Just darkness. That can be a scary thing. That can be a disorienting feeling. And that's kind of what the psalmist is expressing here. He's saying, God, be my light. Show me the way out of this because I don't know the way out. I'm, I'm powerless. In both the Alcoholics Anonymous uh, program and in Celebrate Recovery, the, the Christian version of that that we have uh, meetings here, it talks about powerlessness is an important step in your spiritual growth. Coming to a place of recognizing you can't pull yourself out of the pit. You need God to pull yourself out of the pit. Coming to a point of powerlessness. And he says in verse 3, Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill. He's saying, I can't see the way out, God. I know that you're this good God. I know that your steadfast love is with me. I know you're the one that gives me a song. I know you're the one that is the rescuer. And I don't know how to rescue myself out of this. I don't know how to pull myself out of the, this pit. And he says, so God, will you, will you show me the way? Will you be the light? Because I can't light it myself. And that's, that's one of the hardest things when you're struggling, right? If you're in despair, w- one of the biggest reasons we despair is we're used to being able to pull ourselves out of the pit. We're, we're used to being able to solve our own problems. I, I know for me anyway. I feel like I'm a pretty good problem solver. I can fix this. I can try this. I can try that. I can, I can keep working and churning, and I can get myself out of the situation. And here the psalmist comes to the end of the road and says, I, I can't. God, I need you to light the way to pull me out of this. And, and that's really, at, at the bigger level, what the gospel reflects, is that we can't climb the ladder to God, but God is the ladder, Right? Jesus is the road. Jesus is the bridge. He is the stairway to heaven. He's the one that comes down to us because we can't get up to him. We can't get out of this pit. And so God comes into the pit with us. That's the story of Jesus. The story of Jesus is that we're stuck and he comes and he joins us. And not only does he join us in this sympathetic, oh, isn't that nice, you know, misery loves company. He's with us. But more than that, he conquers it. He, he rises from the dead. He conquers the pit from within. He goes into the dragon and cuts it from the inside, right? He, he joins us in the pit and he brings us back out. Talked about that summer. I got to go to a Christian camp for the first time when I was really in a place of utter despair. And, and what broke me personally, what taught me to hope in God was meeting a man who was paralyzed. And I was there feeling despair because I'd had some nagging shoulder injuries and back injuries, right? But his spine didn't even work anymore. He was a quadriplegic. He was completely paralyzed. And the man was filled with a supernatural joy. And, and seeing hope in someone who in my world should have utterly despaired just broke me. It changed me. It made me recognize that there is a supernatural hope that's possible outside of myself. 
outside of what I can do, outside of how I can manipulate my circumstances and save myself and fix my own situation, I saw, here's a guy that knows real joy because everything's gone wrong for him, but he still has joy in Christ, in the Redeemer. He still has joy in Jesus as the hope to pull him out of that pit of despair. That changed me. That's my prayer for you, that, that you would come to know that same hope that this friend of mine had, the hope that we have in Jesus, that he is the one that, he's the only one that can pull us out of that despair. Let me pray for us, and we're going to worship in one final song together. God, we thank you. We thank you for the hope that you give us in Jesus. We thank you for the way that that is modeled here in this text, real emotional honesty about pain and hurt and suffering and just the scandalous idea that we can be honest with you about our frustrations, God. But also we see modeled um, a man who's preaching the gospel to himself, who's preaching the good news of there's something to hope in outside of me. I don't have a righteousness of my own, God, but I have your righteousness because you gave it to me in Jesus, and we thank you for that. We pray that you'd help us to be satisfied in you. Pray in Jesus' name, amen.